morning, everybody. It's April 23rd. I'm Charlie Fink. I'm here with Ted Chilowitz, futurist at Viacom's Paramount Pictures, and it's This Week in XR. Uh, we have an exciting guest, our friend Kyle Jackson from Tailspin, uh, will be joining us in 15 minutes. But first, Ted and I are going to go over some of the top stories in the news this week. Ted, our friends at Polaroid, who had that amazing demo yes. at CES when it was last in the reel. Yes. Uh, they put you in the back of uh, an Audi uh, wearing a VR headset and the experience, I, I guess, somehow syncs up with the car. Mm -hmm. And these guys have raised 12 million, 12 million bucks. Dollars. Yeah, not bad, right? And uh, I think, Charlie, you know, we're, we're getting to a point in our, in our podcast now, we've been doing this long enough, that we can refer back to generalized themes and things that we know that we need to keep talking about. And this extrapolation of theme park entertainment. I was just going to say that theme park ride in your car. Yep. Is a continuing running theme that we are constantly seeing come back. Humans want to be entertained in this way, right? And we're finding all kinds of use cases for what do we take new pieces and parts of well-known pieces of the industry and tropes and glue them together in an interesting way. And you create a new ride experience and they can raise capital and have a business model that might make sense someday. Well, you know so what Rosedale says, because of automation and AI displacing billions of workers, we're going to spend the rest of our time entertaining each other. Right, exactly. And, so yeah. uh, from, from the ridiculous to the sublime, uh, or is it the sublime to the ridiculous? Ridiculous. Verbella, our friends at Verbella, Alex Howland's company, that's part of EXP Realty, which is mm -hmm. one of the few, uh, I guess, XR companies that's actually publicly traded. Um, they have launched a WebXR experience um, way better than Mozilla Hubs. Um, WebXR, for those of you who are listening, I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you know it's a web a about WebXR. Experience. Yeah. Um, so you go there on your browser, any device, any browser, and and if you have VR, of course, you can you know hit the VR uh, upgrade button and see the stereoscopic version. So uh, you know Verbella, great company, great collaboration platform, does uh, well with large conferences of a couple yep. thousand people, which you know almost nobody else basically can handle. Um, but they realize it's a big. It's a big download. It's, you know, and so, you know, corporate IT kind of exists to prevent that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it takes a million years for uh, them to get approval to be on corporate machines. And most people don't even want to go through that if it's just a department thing. Right. So um, they, they created Frame. They've got whiteboarding in there. You can bring in 3D objects. Um, as I said, I don't think Spatial is going to be quaking in their boots this week. Um, but it is a legit competitor from a well-funded, uh, forward-looking company with some really talented executives. So I think something could be happening. There are 38 or 40, by my count, remote collaboration sites. 40 now. Wow. That's so interesting. In, in a way, it's sort of like, oh, my God, we need another one of these. But because it's Verbella and because it's WebXR, I think there's a place for this. Right. And and. At even though I know when we even say this word, it's going to open up a Pandora's box that we cannot get out of. But this is broadly of how we refer to continuing the dance around the metaverse, right? This is another company that we both respect and that's doing interesting things, continuing to grow, starting to make their next play in the metaverse, which requires almost no interface you know, challenges and downloads and 
apps and things. It's just launch a browser and come into our version of the metaverse. And this is a very popular theme to the point of, like you said, 30 or 40 companies all trying to figure out how do they fit into this, right? Well, that's a great segue. And this will be our, our last topic before we go to Kyle, but it's a rabbit hole, as I said yeah. in our prep. Uh, and I'm going back to last week and the billion dollar investment that follows the earlier billion dollar investment into um, Epic Games, uh, the maker of Unreal Engine and Fortnite and uh, a number of other uh, PC and console games. A very mm -hmm. successful company. Uh, Tencent owns a considerable amount of the company, probably, uh, I would guess at this point, 25 or 30% yeah, uh, company valued at, at I, I don't know, $50 billion. Mm -hmm. uh, they, the, the significant thing here, though, uh, is that they said this tranche of investment is not about games. Right. It's about building a metaverse. And, and coincidentally, or perhaps not coincidentally, um, at the same time, they launched a metahuman creator, which creates a very sophisticated avatar of a human, like a ready player one level yep. human. And of course, that's being driven by their fantastic game engine, um, you know, which is very powerful. It's used in virtual production and, um, you know, for lots of AAA games and, and in making AAA games, including uh, Fortnite. So with the, you know, the thing about meta human creator is if you're going to have a metaverse, right, that means a world, a, a connected series of virtual worlds mm -hmm. where you can pass frictionlessly, you know, with a web browser, if you will. And when you go into these simulation and these spatial rooms or places, you have an avatar that you carry with you, right? And your avatar has your blockchain currency and it's got your different avatars or costumes if you will and you have one identity right the system rec recognizes that you're ted right. no matter how you're dressed you know you can be an amoeba but they know that you're ted that's correct and ted yeah. the amoeba still has access to a smartphone he still has access to whatever you know applications he's carrying with him that, that he can deploy in the appropriate simulations. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that the, the really big play here is to own that avatar, own that metahuman, and own that backpack. Right, so yeah, what you're referring to is the, the very, very strong future of the digital identity, which from the minute we all got you know, public IP addresses and we all got a thing called an email address, our first ones were probably at AOL or a CompuServe back in the day. And you know, now a lot of people have Gmail addresses or their corporate email. My that first one was an eWorld address. eWorld, even better. Mine was AOL. Mine was my last name at AOL.com. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and we just had all those CDs that would ship and we'd use them as coasters for <laughs> our house. But when you know that, you know, we're going back generations now, right, of a digital identity that is so linked to us. Um, and it's just been a kind of a, a text-based 2D light graphics layer identity. And now because of gaming, because of gaming culture, um, those digital identities have transferred from just text and light graphics into extraordinarily sophisticated graphic digital identity. So the next logical step is to start to dive into what, you know, Epic is studying. Where do we go from here with more and more sophisticated graphic attempts 
at making people feel like it's really happening to them. Um, and that is a big part of what we are, you know, are studying every day, what you're doing with your class. Oculus, and Oculus is going after this. Too. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't think they're, they're dummies here. They too understand the value of the avatar as, as this sort of, I guess, spatial browser. Yeah, the last time you and I uh, gathered at one of the Oculus um, Connects, um, uh, Michael Abrash was on stage showing their research work at photorealistic avatars that were created and the headsets, they built some modifications so that it would read and, and generate them the lips and face movement of the avatar. And it was totally real. Like it looked like that was you inside VR and you were essentially controlling it while wearing the clunky headset. So you didn't have to see the clunky headset. Now with Epic taking that to scale and making it much more accessible to a lot of people and companies like Roblox and Sony with their dreams platform and, you know, and, and well, every you other. Imagine them hooking metaverse creator into the game engine so that anybody creating a VR experience is immediately compatible with MetaHuman. Correct. Right. And we'll be, you know, we'll be at a day when we will remember, yeah, we used to use those funky cartoon avatars all the yeah. time <laughs> in VR. And then, you know, I mean, guys like you guys like me, we actually have a high res avatar because we're in that group yeah. that had to figure that out when it was expensive and exotic. But we also knew that at some point, everybody will have access to this. Like you'll be able to build your own avatar and that will be your email address, quote unquote, for the future, right? Is like your avatar shows up and boom, there you are. And, and you're in that world. And that's, that's the world we're in. Well, uh, I said it was a rabbit hole and we could do a whole show on <laughs> yes. metaverses and maybe we should. Um, you know, the, the, I, I wanted to get to, and I won't, I'm just going to mention it, that land in Decentraland in Somnium space mm. is going for half a million dollars. Yeah. And it's clearly part of the NFT craze and, you know, this idea of blockchain ownership and this whole class of Bitcoin billionaires who are otherwise invisible. Correct. And, and they're from all over the world. Right, yeah. So uh, I really hurting my head trying to understand that because that is a big crazy bet. Mm -hmm. You know, that and they will, is. Somnium Space or uh, Decentraland will matter. Right. It's and I mean, these are good companies with interesting products. Yeah. But the play that they're going for and, and more importantly, the play that these other guys are paying to be part of seems to be really expanding. Mm -hmm. So who's in there? Yeah. What the heck? So uh, anyway, we won't go, go there today. Uh, I want to get to our friend Kyle Jackson, whose company Tailspin uh, is in the simulation business. They create business simulations. So I'm interested to hear what he has to say. Me too. Our guest today is Kyle Jackson, a serial entrepreneur, old friend of Ted's, CEO and founder of Tailspin, a new VR company that does corporate training and VR education. Kyle, welcome to the show. Great to see you this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Kyle and I uh, go way back. Uh, he and I are cut from the same DNA cloth, as we would say, uh, always uh, experimenting, exploring, and trying new things. Uh, and he has found extraordinary success with, uh, Charlie, what you and I talk about a lot is one of the really um, robust and powerful verticals in simulation use case, which is training uh, and, uh, and education for 
light, heavy industry, medical, you know, all these different uh, pieces of, of industry that require a better tool than a traditional screen to start to learn how to do things. And that's what Kyle has been very successful at over the past couple of years now. That's Kyle, been, you, sorry, go ahead. I was say, it's been an inter interesting journey. I, I, like to, I like to call it infinitely curious, Ted. Yes, you and I are infinitely <laughs> curious. Yeah. Exactly. Well put. I was going to ask, most of your other startups were focused on uh, entertainment and media technology. So what, why VR? How did this happen? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so basically I've, um, you know, going back to the infinitely curious, I mean, basically been on the kind of bleeding edge of, of, of new mediums and, and, and tech, you know, for that entire career. And so I, I, I just recently realized what I ultimately, I think I'm really good at is, is, is workflow and bridging the gap and, and plumbing and other things that are required at, at, you know, as these things break and come together. And so that was, that was about 15 years of that, um, that led into being um, heavily involved in, in virtual production, um, computer vision, machine learning in like 2011, 2012. Um, and uh, got really, really passionate about, you know, the idea of kind of changing the uh, production cycle. And, and obviously now we're seeing that come to really full fruition. But the other thing that happened on that, um, on that, that journey and that exploration was I just started to see a lot of, of tech, uh, both computer vision and machine learning and AI tech that I, I just got kind of really interested in what was going on in the more macro sense, uh, you know, in terms of the workforce, the workplace, you know, uh, how it was going to be disruptive to products and services that, that, that companies were building. I just started to have this kind of like this itch, you know, in the back of, you know, the hair standing up in the back of your neck going, there's something that's, that's pretty you know, it's a tidal wave coming here and, and there's not a lot of people talking about what we're going to do to offset it. And people are going to need to, you know, obviously be um, repositioned or reskilled now, as we like to say, um, opposite these types of these types of waves. And um, I just kept kind of thinking more and more about that. Meanwhile, on the day job, you know, um, a, a whole bunch of, you know, companies got funded, had a ton of cash, they were needed pipelines fixed and in the VR space, they needed pipelines created and fixed. And so I was just getting dragged deeper and deeper into it. And eventually the two worlds kind of, you know, that, that, that suspicion or that itch and, um, and, you know, now that, you know, what had been a couple of years deep in VR came together and it was, okay, there, maybe there's something here. Yeah. I, maybe what we should do is, is, is use this new medium and, and kind of the deep background and, and fixing these kind of problems when, you know, emerging mediums and tech and, and put it to use to, to build a new foundation for how people move forward. Yeah, I would I would say, Kyle, that see if you agree with this, that uh, both you, me, and Charlie all found that, that, let's call it third or fourth wave of VR, all right about the same time, right? Kind yeah. of in that early DK1 phase, and we we're all kind of at different points of our career, and, and this moment of, okay, this is an interesting new device that lives on the back of, for me was like theme park and simulation entertainment. And for you was workflow and pipeline. And for Charlie was both the, his theme park history and his education and media background in terms of getting the word out. And I think the three of us all kind of played this interesting role. We all took little different chunks of it and we yeah. kind of ran with it. And here we are today in 2021. Sure, uh, you two uh, guys chose the path of how do you make money? 
And Charlie chose the path of how do you do a lot of work and not get and not make any money. with Kyle, just hoping by rubbing up against him, some of it is on me. Yeah, it's yeah. a good strategy. It's a good yeah. strategy. I've played that strategy once before with Ted, and it worked pretty well. So, yeah, that, right? <laughs> so one thing people might be wondering, you know, we're 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 kind of I, I think cutting ahead a little bit. Um, can can you tell us what the products that Tailspin makes are and yeah. how you're getting them out there to the customers? Yeah, so we, we've actually been doing a lot of updating in terms of like how we're educating the, the customer now and, and also just in the product maturity. So we, we actually consider ourselves a skills mobility company is now is now how we think about things. And and what that really means is, is that you're, you know, you're using this technology to more rapidly transfer skills and to better um, assess and, and measure them. And so between those two ends, you, you actually get kind of mobility, which means that I can I can take my credential and I can give it to somebody else and show them that. I actually know this thing, or um, or I can um, or I can have a better preview of of skills that I might be interested in, you know, um, you know, uh, exploring. So, so the actual products are broken into soft skills and hard skills. We have kind of two parts of the platform, and then underneath that sits a whole kind of um, we we like to think about it as kind of like GPS for career and skill navigation. Um, but on the soft skill side, you know, it's, it's this, uh, what Charlie, we originally got connected on, which was, was, you know, having simulated conversation with virtual humans. Um, so we basically build a whole pipeline and, um, and then a set of authoring tools internally that we've been using for the last couple of years to build these soft skill simulations for things like sales and management, and even just, um, uh, empathy, uh, DEI, all, all the topics that are becoming really critical to like successfully navigate business. And, um, and then on the other side is hard skills, which is your more traditional process and object-based learning. And those are, we focused initially kind of in insurance and telecom, and then more recently been, been, been being um, brought out into the skilled trades as well. Um, and so, and that looks a lot, a lot like what you've probably seen where, you know, it, it's teaching um, somebody, you know, how to install a piece of equipment or maintain a, a site or investigate um, a problem area, you know, at a, an oil rig or something like that. Like it's a lot, all those types of use cases. And and the advantage you discovered is that with a tool that allows a spatial environment to come to life at scale and at a very cost-effective way, uh, you can essentially simulate things that would only happen in the real world where training is expensive and sometimes exotic and sometimes impossible, right? Like getting people out to an oil rig, getting people out to a, a dangerous chemical environment, or, or it's just, things with issues in the real world that you have to get them into hazmat suits and you have to get them, uh, you know, prepped and trained. The, the, the expense of that can be extraordinary, right? Yeah. And the scale yeah. is really limited. And you basically crack that code with VR by basically building what I refer to as theme park style simulations of things that you can put into headsets and then send out to people all over the planet as needed to train them, right? Yeah, that, that, so that that's one. That was one huge side of the um, uh, problem that was being solved. The other, which was the one that was like kind of more interesting to me up front, was that if you think about the workforce transformation that's about to happen, or we're in the middle of now. Yeah, um, you know, I, I always like to say that there was just a math problem. You know, which was means that we had to transition a whole, you know, roughly a billion people plus into new roles, and if you used e-learning and video and web-based modalities, like we, you know, there was a there was a there was an unknown time that that was going to take, and we knew there was a known efficacy, and those two things are actually incompatible with the actual problem we have to solve. Mm 
Right. Like it's just, it doesn't balance. And so what we, you know, the reason I got so passionate about it is like, okay, well, what's the law of acceleration that happens with this medium? And that, that got interesting because that's, that's somewhere between four and 10 times. That's, I mean, basically we can, we can get somebody up to proficiency, you know, four to 10 times faster than any, any of those means. And generally what we've seen is, is not only do they get up to speed that much quicker, but they're retaining the information, you know, three to five times as long. Yeah, because the spatial memory is actually more real than a two-dimensional video yeah. chat memory, especially uh, in this last year, you've probably seen a, a massive accelerator to the need. For That's exactly what I was going to say. Another, um, you know, technology business that must have been accelerated um, due to the pandemic. And, uh, you know, in the new normal, probably the uh, a lot of that demand will will remain yeah I, I think i think that second part is is the piece that we're feeling so there's like you know there's platforms like spatial and other um collaboration platforms that like felt it immediately right because they had a product in market and it was like flexible enough to do a whole bunch of things and therefore there's people started using it where what we do is 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 usually solving more specific you know problems um that require you know a level of you know experts to be involved and and you know curriculum to be created but what did happen is, is like, we went from um, being a frontier tech play where, you know, every call I was on was, was pitching the notion of this as some part of the possible to, to the opposite, you know, to, we need it right of, now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, some foundation. How, how do we engage play. now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to be back in the office in 2021 and we don't want to go back to the way we were doing things. So right. we need to start now. Right. So yeah, fourth quarter was our biggest quarter in five years of Great. company history. Um, and at the top of this year has just been, you know, the same, just, just, just crushing. So, yeah. Well, it's great to hear that. Uh, one last topic. And again, I just want to drill down. You talked about hard skills and soft skills. You've got kind of a, I guess, production studio uh, that you can ramp up. Uh, sounds like pretty easily uh, to make these experiences. So, you know, what is the studio? What are the movies? Ted referred to them as little teaching theme park experiences. So what are the experiences both? Uh, can you give me an example in the hard area? And yeah. also the soft skills? I think people would be interested in hearing about that. Yeah, so the soft skills area has been largely down like leadership and sales themes. Um, you know, we're working with a couple of the really, you know, the world's biggest consultancies and then a couple of the world's biggest technology companies um, that have large communities, you know, because their software is focused on, you know, a, a large, um, uh, a large pool of end users that do a certain, you know, kind of, you know, sales job or, or a, a customer service job that, that requires soft skills. And so those uh, use cases, you know, range from things around uh, bias and difficult conversations and, uh, even just selling plays, like a really fascinating thing actually is, is what does selling look like in the, you know, later this year, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, these sales forces had different, you know, the, everybody had different uh, sales cultures, but large, largely um, a lot of them were in person and, you know, on planes and, 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 um, and also not dealing with a lot of the difficult conversations that are now, you know, potentially have to be confronted. And so there's a whole, like, what's the future of selling look like track that we're building. Uh, with a partner um, on the hard skills side, um, you know, we we really focused a lot on uh, telecom because telecom and insurance originally because they both had they were both sectors that were going through tremendous uh, change at the hands of technology. Um, probably about three to five years before a lot of other sectors were going to, and the demographics there were were really um, already skewed towards this the kind of workforce transformation that was happening more that's now happening more broadly. So. 
been in those for a few years. And so in insurance, it's, you know, it's essentially teaching people investigation skills um, because what's happening is, um, you know, a lot of the work that used to be frontline work is now being moved to call centers or backline work because the sensors on the front end are so good. People can now take this and do a LIDAR scan of their home and their insurance claims agent is like handling it all in a call center. But those people in the call center have never been frontline workers. So they don't actually have the experience to, to know how to deal with that situation. So they're now learning that in simulation instead of actually having been on the job for five years or whatever. So meanwhile, you've spent the fast past five years becoming an expert in industrial workflows oh, because it's, it's, it's understand them in order to create these kinds of you know super specific modules. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think the background, you know, so one of the things that, that Ted and I spent a lot of time in was as the movie studios were kind of figuring out how to go, you know, launch video on demand networks and modernize from physical distribution to digital distribution, it was a really complex supply chain problem. And there's a lot of similarities in terms of that work to, to, to what I'm seeing in all these major organizations now. Obviously, you know, different tasks being done at the end, but, you know, similar problems just in terms of both culture and technology and workflows, information flows, communication flows. So it, it, it feels like it feels very similar to, to, you know, about five from 20, 2006 to 2011 when we were yeah. doing that for all the movie studios. Kyla, I think, I think you'll like this perspective on stuff because just in the past couple of weeks, I've used this well-worn joke um, way too many times, but it's become oddly <laughs> appropriate is all those areas that you're talking about, about you know, how do you modernize a sales transaction, an e-commerce transaction, a like insurance modification transaction, all these things. Um, there are so many things that I'm touching where they ask me to hop onto some sort of web interface. And yeah. the first thing I say is, oh, mm, looks like 1994 just called and they would like that web interface back. Oh man, uh, I, I, I've got I've got a I've got a book of those you'd love to see. Right, and, and what yeah. you're doing is sort of realizing that we need a more modern, more appropriate tool for what Charlie and I've talked about a lot. This virtual metaphor that we are all in now, things yeah. that have happened, just like all the things you just referred to, are things that would only happen with practical things. Someone getting into a car, going to a site, and figuring something out. And what you have tapped a vein on is that this can be used in modern simulation and modern webkit and modern visualization and modern tools that have things like lidar and advanced cam cameras and so forth and so on so you yeah. like i said you really tapped into a world that the world is coming and realizing that they need people like you that are doing it so yeah well um, and i think the other pieces is there's still going to be a transition period which is something we saw you know before too right where you go from one medium to a new, another, you have to find this kind of on-ramp path. Yeah, there's that uncomfortable moment where people don't quite grasp it yet, and then everybody starts to grasp it. Yeah, and yeah, and I think we're right in the middle of that now, because now it's like a foregone conclusion, and people are stuck with their 1994 interface, and they're wanting their, you know, 2022 interface, Correct. and they got problems they have to solve tomorrow, you know, <laughs> and they're like, and it's this, it's this tricky middle yeah. that, uh, that, you know, you have to kind of get into the mud and, and, and help them with. Do you want to just as we as we kind of wrap things up, maybe do you want to maybe mention the uh, the website so people can find where you know they learn more about you and a little bit of the size of your company, the trajectory of your company? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're on uh, on the web. We're just www.tailspin.com. T-A-L-E. Um, the whole uh, notion of the name of the company was is that we were going to be swimming into such a disruptive time that uh, you had to be comfortable taking it head on. 
And so the idea of a tailspin is obviously something that's usually quite negative. And, uh, and we flipped it on its head and, and threw it in people's face. And, and every single person we came across for a couple of years asked us, why in the heck would you do that? And they said, because <laughs> this is a period where you have to be curious and brave or you're not going to thrive. It's and, funny because um, that name always made perfect sense to me. <laughs> it sounds great. Charlie, so you're, you're in the rare air, man. Hey, Kyle, thanks for hanging out with us uh, this morning. Um, that's our show, everybody. Appreciate you listening today. Um, and we'll uh, see you next week. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Cheers. Kyle.